0: We were only three hundred feet below the summit when the storm finally broke. It was two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. The air had a chemical odor. There was a humming of static electricity, and St. Elmo's fire flickered bluishly around our metal equipment. We had noticed the storm building through the morning hours, and at eleven o'clock had paused for a consultation. I wanted to continue. Cartier was in favor of a retreat. Stryker the youngest and least experienced, said he would abide by any decision that Cotier and I reached. I argued that the storm was still a few hours away and that we could certainly reach a point near the summit before it broke. Most of the difficult climbing would be below us then. This was probably only a brief afternoon storm. It might snow for a couple of hours and then clear by evening. Even if it did not clear, we could bivouac tonight and next morning push on to the summit through bad weather if necessary actually i said if we move fast we could probably make the summit before the storm hit us i don't know cartier said from the summit it was a relatively easy descent to the refuge on the northwest ridge look at that sky cartier said i don't know today was the 1st of september the season was almost over we might not be able to do any more climbing this year well he said. If we go all out. You decide, Etienne. We can start rappelling down to the glacier now or we can blitz the summit. All right, he said. Let's go on. Dieter? Let's get moving then, Stryker said. We climbed swiftly, using a minimum of pitons and belays, but we lost an hour through poor route finding and clumsy rope management. If not for that lost hour, we might have been on our way down the ridge when the storm hit. During the last few pitches, we could hear thunder and see lightning stab through the dark clouds. We kept climbing, and then we were in it. We had just enough time before the storm struck full force to prepare our bivouac site, a few pitons to which we tied ourselves and our rucksacks, a moment to put on our down jackets and waterproof ponchos, just enough time to arrange ourselves in moderate comfort on the nine-foot-long, three-foot-wide ledge. That ledge was a beautifully horizontal piece of terrain compared to the rest of the vertical rock wall. Cartier and I sat on the ends. Stryker was between us. "'The air stinks,' Cartier said. "'We're going to get some lightning.' Do you want to put all the metal stuff in a rucksack and lower it over the side? I asked. But there was no more time. The mists swarmed around us and small hailstones began to rattle off the rock. There were flashes of lightning which expanded into huge spheres that illuminated the mist like sun shining behind a cloud, and these were followed by the peals of thunder. One detonation lasted for more than ten It went off like a munitions factory or oil refinery blowing up, and then continued to rumble and crackle and re-explode until all three of us were shouting with fear. The expanding balls of light were all around us in the mist, some far out, just small, brightly glowing spheres, and some closer, and these illuminated everything with a pale, shuddering glow. Bright tentacles snaked through the smoky atmosphere, when the thunder was close, I could feel the concussion in my abdomen. My mouth was dry and tasted bitter. We were in the worst of it now. There was a crackling and buzzing in the air, a throbbing hum of static electricity. The pitons and ice axe heads sputtered with bluish-green light. Our woolen hats discharged sparks, and beneath the hats our hair bristled. A tiny blue flame danced around the metal rims of Stryker's sunglasses. We all shouted, It came, then, a blinding flash of light close above us, a brilliant quivering glare, and then the resonant explosion.